Hey, what's up? It's Chet. Chet Czar. That's my name. I host this podcast. This podcast is called the Dark Art Society Podcast. Today, I interview Ken Hall, whose professional name is Kenneth J. Hall, but he's known in the business as Ken Hall. Uh, he is a foam fabricator, and uh, I mentioned this in the interview. The foam fabrication doesn't get the, the credit that um, I think it should, and it deserves in the world of makeup effects. And it's used a lot, surprisingly. People don't realize how often uh, foam fabricator foam fabrications are, are, are used. And I, do, I don't know. I'm just I'm a nerd for this stuff, so... I'm always amazed at what uh, foam fabricators can do. Uh, I think we just, I'm trying to remember the interview. I think he describes a pretty good idea of what foam fabrication is, but it's basic, just in case <clears throat> I haven't listened, I never listened to the interviews because I can't stand my voice. So um, I only listen if I have to edit or something, but um, it's foam fabrication is creating something out of foam, like sheet foam, like couch foam basically sheets of foam rubber and the stuff they do is pretty amazing um you know rather than sometimes sculpting and molding something is the best option but sometimes foam fabrication is a lot faster and cheaper and works just as well so anyway he's just he's been he's worked on so many movies and and uh actually my first job I, I i met him on my first job in the business at uh mmi john beekler's shop and uh he's just kind of a, a legend in the business as the foam fabricator dude so i thought it'd be fun to have him on plus he's got a patreon he's starting um he gives i think it's foam fab foam fab 101 i'll have the description in the um or the uh, the link in the description. So I, I, I'm supporting it, and uh, hopefully people interested will support it as well. So, you know, I thought it'd be people that do cosplay and stuff. It's really valuable info from someone who's been doing it for forever. So anyway, we had a fun conversation. It was really good to catch up with him and, um, yeah, just hear his stories. He's got a lot of stories. I definitely want to have him back on again because – after we stopped recording he brought up some other crazy movie stories story and and movie there's so many crazy movie stories they're really fun to to uh, talk about so i'll have him back on sometime but had a great time with him okay so what's been going on with me i'm still in the tool the final stages of the tool poster gig where i'm doodling posters i've got five left and then i'm done for now anyway and uh so i'm getting all that stuff done this week and uh next week i will start full time on the dystopia book until it is done so i'm really excited about that uh i also have i have a painting to do for i forgot that i agreed to do way back months ago that's how these galleries get you they they hit you up a year uh, 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 uh for a show that's coming up in a year and then you forget about it and then you realize you got to do a painting for it i know your game gallery galleries just kidding I mean, it's good to give extra time actually i have to turn down shows a lot because they don't give enough warning but anyway i have to do that so 
I'll be doing that probably in the evenings and then working on dystopia in the day, but that's only probably going to take me a week for the painting. Otherwise, it's all dystopia for at least a month. I'm going to try and get it all done in a month. This is going to be a big deal for me to get this done, needless to say. Uh, let's get on with the Patreon subscribers so we can get on to this interview here. Okay, we got, oh, quite a few new subscribers. Vincent Kong. Thank you, Vincent. Vincent's a collector and a friend of mine. Very cool guy. Carly Robertson. Thank you. Sharon Henning. Thank you. Joka. He's a really good artist. Thank you, Joka. J-O-K-A. Cherry Chains and Terry Fairchild. New subscribers to the Dark Art Society podcast patreon with that you get into i always say this twice i probably shouldn't say it in the beginning or in the end maybe i should say it i don't know you know the deal with the patreon if you join you support the podcast you get in the free uh the secret facebook group you get on the live zoom art jams every friday all that business so that's all i'm gonna say about it other than, if you want to join up, go to uh, patreon.com slash darkartsociety, right? That's what the website is, I think. Dark Art Patreon, yeah. Okay, um, I guess that's it. We should just get on with this interview. Uh, oh, I will say I, something I always forget, which is please go to Netflix and request that they add Chet Zar, I Like to Paint Monsters, to their movie selection because we're trying to get it on um, Netflix. And if enough people hit them up, it'll happen. So um, there'll be a link in the description of this podcast. And otherwise you can Google, you know, suggest title to Netflix. And it's Chet Czar colon I like to paint monsters. If you would do that, I would really appreciate it. <clears throat> and like we said before, it's not a money thing because... I don't think anybody's gonna ever see any money from this, but just to get the just to get it to where people can see it for free would be really cool. Um, all right, let's get on with it. Kenneth J. Hall, the interview. Hope you like it. Hey, Ken, how's it going? Good, like all things considered. Yeah, of right. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy time to be doing an interview. Interview, but maybe the best time because everyone's home anyway. So you know, exactly. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's funny. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time because, um, I just think that, I mean, you're one of you're like one of the top, like what do they call it now? Foam fabricators or foam construction. Foam, foam fabricators, you know, they used to say foam construction back in the 80s. And I always thought, you know, you know, you'd need to wear a hard hat. Right. Or something. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true. It's not, it's not exactly <laughs> that kind of construction. Although, interestingly, uh, I found out that a lot of the foam suppliers out there, including my local one, Atlas Foam, uh, call themselves foam fabricators because they do actually take the big bundles of foam 
and slice it. And then they, they'll do more fancy stuff. I've had them do a few odd projects for me over the years. So uh, they're foam fabricators, but not in the same right. way. <laughs> well, okay. First off, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that because, you know, a lot of people don't, foam fabrication doesn't get the love that like sculpting does, you know, and it, yeah, in makeup effects. And the stuff that you guys do is really amazing. But I imagine now with cosplay becoming kind of more of a thing that it's becoming more in the public consciousness. But before we get into that, because I want you to, you know, explain to the audience what what uh, your your specialty is. Um, first off, I, I just wanted to mention that on my first job, my first shop job is where I met Ken back in 1986, maybe 87. Cellar dweller. I, I, again, that's ancient history. <laughs> so, yeah, around that yes. time. Let's and it, it was it was on Cellar Dweller. That's where I first met Ken and um, Mike Deke, Bill Butler, all these guys at John Beekler Shop MMI, where a lot of people got their start. Actually, <clears throat> Mitch Devane, a lot of people, Criswell, all, all these guys, really great. Uh, Dave Kinlan, didn't he? Didn't Dave Kinlan? Did Kenlon work there? I'm not sure if that was his first job. It wasn't mine either, uh, but uh, but I did work uh, for John 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 Beekler, God rest his soul. Yeah, he's um, a great guy. You know, many uh, many times over the years. Uh, I know John Vulich and mm -hmm. Everett Burrell also started right. there. Yeah, yeah, and Mitch, like I said, Mitch Devane, who was you know like one of the biggest sculptors, one of the best sculptors in the business, got his start there as well. Absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing. work. He all, yeah, anytime I ever saw something he did, it's just like, damn. I know, right? <laughs> I remember when I was there, because we were shooting, we we're going to do, we're doing the cellar dweller soup. And mm -hmm. also, this, this other show was shooting in Italy alongside cellar dweller called, I think it ended up being called Pulse Pounders. It was oh, a Lovecraft yeah. thing. And yeah, Mitch yeah. sculpted that uh, David Warner's head on a rat body. Do you remember <laughs> that? It was like a rat with David Warner's head. And it... I, I, I don't think I ever saw it. I think later on they actually used David Gale though for that uh, from uh, the original Reanimator. Oh really? Uh, oh maybe. So okay, maybe it was David Gale. Uh, yeah, but it, it was uh, uh, amazing. It looked exactly like him. I remember that much. I remember he could sculpt something the size of a walnut and do perfect likeness of that person. <laughs> this is long before digital scanning and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, it was so dead on. It was It was, it was crazy. freakish. It was seriously, yeah. you know, I'd never, no one, everybody says the same thing about Mitch. But so anyway, we go way back. We, I, I mean, I met Ken back on my first job and I, I, uh, I was, I came in to do some molds and I molded one of Cellar Dweller's arms and I made the mold too thin and I opened it and it broke in half. Oh. And John Criswell gave me, he was so pissed. He was yelling at me. I was so embarrassed. But then they, three weeks after, they sent me over to Italy to work on Cellar Dweller. And I was like a kid who'd never been on a plane before, let alone out of the country. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was... Right before that, I was over in Italy the one and only time I went there for Ghoulies Part 2. Oh, wow. With, uh, with uh, Deke and Butler, Criswell, and Tom Flounce, mm. uh, Oscar nominee Tom Yeah, another Flounce. one, another Beekler alumni that is 
you yep. know, amazing. Yep. And of course, you know, when I, because I've been kind of the shop supvisor and when I came back, there was a whole new crew working there. <laughs> there wasn't a job for oh, me, really? but it was like, oh, well, that's the way it kind of right. worked. You know, they, as the shows constantly overlapped, I'd also done some stuff, uh, prior to Ghoulies 2 for uh, Spellcast. Mm, okay. Yeah, you worked on a lot of those uh, Charlie Band movies, right? Oh, I'm afraid so, <laughs> Tons yes. Of them. <laughs> Carnosaur, didn't you do Carnosaur? Well, that was for Roger. Oh, Roger Corman, right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I built the uh, foam fabricated, the full-size T-Rex, and uh, there, there's, there, there are several funny stories there. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I uh, I was came in to work on some dinosaur suits that had already been started. They'd been sculpted. The head, the torso, and the and uh, yeah, I think it was the head, the torso, and I was supposed to do legs and a tail with foam fabrication. And but the the upper parts were uh, were cast in polyfoam, weighed a ton, and you know it, it, it was it was really challenging. You know, plus the proportions didn't match the puppets. You know, which was <laughs> Uh, unfortunately kind of typical over there <laughs> uh, and, and uh anyway and while i was working john came out to me in his inimitable style and said uh, could you possibly fabricate a full-size leg or a tail and i said john you directed some episodes of the new land of the lost and I'd worked over there at Kyoto Brothers and made a full-size tail, a big uh, full-size brontosaurus head, that sort of thing. So I said, yeah, yeah, you should know that. And then he goes, could you possibly fabricate a full-size head? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I mean, years ago, my friend Tim Lawrence uh, had uh, Steve Sleep and I sculpt a, uh, a sample piece uh, for uh, Jurassic Park when before Stan got it. And so I said, yeah, I, I, I can do that. And then he went away again for a little while and I kept working. And then later on, he came back. Could you possibly tie all these things together? <laughs> and I said, OK, wait a minute. You're talking about a full head to toe T-Rex. How big do you want it to be? I, I, I want it to be 18 feet tall or six, 16 mm -hmm. feet, I think. it was. And I go, well. You know, I'll be honest, I've never done that before. I think I know of a way of doing it. Uh, you're going to have to get uh, your mechanics guy, John Crawford, who was an incredibly incredible guy to build a very rudimentary metal framework, you know, to so this thing will stand up and all that. But, yeah, I did it. And it was uh, the first time I made anything that big. And it uh, and it worked out. It wound up being used in every Carnosaur movie. It was used in the movie Raptor, which was also a Corman film. And then uh, a Jim Wynorski, a Fred Olin Ray co-directing project called Dinosaur Island. Wow. It was used in that. <laughs> and frankly, I thought they used the Big Rex better in that than they did in uh, uh, the original Carnosaur. So the clip that's on... Uh, my total fab reel is actually a clip from Dinosaur. Island. Oh, wow. How funny. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, let's talk about, can you explain to people to deal with foam fabrication? I think you could do it better than I can. And, and, and also, you know, how you wound up going in that direction. Cause there's so many different aspects of makeup effects that people kind of end up going, you know, some people will be sculptors, some people will be painters, some people will go into, to, uh, 
uh, onset makeup, and <clears throat> what led you to to that to foam fabrication? Okay, uh, well, you know, I started out playing around with uh, makeup effects and that sort of stuff uh, back when, uh, when I was still a teenager in Jacksonville, Florida, which is you know my hometown, and. Um, you know, we would try making molds and so forth. We didn't have uh, a, a, a dedicated workspace, and so we were building stuff in our bedrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the amount of mess we could make, you know, there were still little bits of Roma plastilina embedded in our carpet yep. <laughs> and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, we, I had known from watching, you know, the old uh, old Godzilla films and even the, the the Sid and Marty Croft shows that they had to be made out of some kind of foam. Mm-hmm. At that time, the only foam available to us was that cheap, you know, off-white upholstery foam, you know, that uh, we could even find in local stores. And so we bought that, and instead of using um, contact adhesive, which was very smelly, uh, I, uh, we, uh, use actual liquid latex. We would, uh, use our fingers, not even a brush to put it on the seams, force dry it with a blow dryer and stick it together. Mm. And the seams were way stronger than the foam itself. Wow, was. Right. But anyway, foam fabrication in general, and I didn't even know this was a thing, you know, outside of, you know, the things I previously mentioned. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, it was it was an inexpensive way to make large things. You know, my brother and some friends made a couple. Uh, actually, made a total of three Godzilla suits. And I I was going to a convention uh, in Texas. We were all going to a convention in Texas, and uh, I um, uh, enlisted my brother to help me put together a, um, a full body suit of the Metaluna mutant from this island mm-hmm. Earth. And uh, Rick Baker was the guest uh, at that convention. This was way back. He had just done Star Wars. He'd previously done King Kong. He was known to all us fans who read the magazines, but he was not, you know, before any of his Oscars, he was not a household name or anything like that. So my brother and his friends brought a bunch of their kaiju suits that they had made and put them on display there. And then, of course, uh, I I think it was only non-Star Wars character <laughs> that was in the costume contest, and I, I won the first prize. Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, so Rick uh, invited my, my brother and I and all his friends to uh, go up to his room to just to give us some more technical stuff that he wasn't going to do in his general uh, talk at the convention. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave us sources and and tips and tricks. It was amazing, cool. and I think that was the thing that inspired not only myself but uh, uh, all of us, virtually all of us that were there, to eventually move out to Hollywood. Uh, and it's not like any of us thought we were anywhere near Rick's class at that time. But the interesting thing is he was probably the first fan to become a professional. Right. You know, that's true. When my first, my first job for Tom Berman, uh, was on space hunter, uh, when I got into town. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I remember Rick's name coming up, and Tom says, "Oh, he's a fan." <laughs> it was almost a, a, a derogatory right. tone, and I go, "Oh, okay." And I didn't, I, and I didn't realize until later that there were a lot 
of, uh, you know, most of the old timers in the business, certainly at that time, were guys who fell into mm -hmm. it, you know, studio makeup apprentice program, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, they, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, Tom was already second generation uh, uh, because his dad ran the prop department at Universal. Mm -hmm. Uh, and back, and back, he, he even did a lot of Jack Pierce's latex work, oh, wow. you know. Jack didn't like using right. latex, but he too <laughs> for the Frankenstein headpiece and the Wolfman nose and all that. Uh, so, uh, uh, but that was all done by Ellis Berman. He also did the uh, 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 wolf's head cane prop. Oh, wow. For the yeah, Wolfman. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Very, very famous uh, prop right. there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but anyway, so Rick was a fan, and the fact that, you know, we said, this guy loves this stuff the way we do, and, you know, you know, we thought there may, there may be room out there. Uh, the first one of us to come out was Tim Lawrence, who sadly passed away this last uh, Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, um, and I've known Tim since first grade. He came out first. And then later on, uh, Mark Tyler and I came out. And then after doing Space Hunter, I brought Cleve out and so forth. But interestingly enough, when I got hired at uh, uh, at Tom's, you know, I had a lot of pictures of foam fabrication in my uh, uh, portfolio. And, you know, he was looking for somebody to do fa foam fabrication because he'd used it in the past. But the, the lady who uh, normally did it for him was uh, busy working on Cujo. So that's that's how I got my first mm. break. But going back to foam fabrication, it's it, uh, you know uh, it's literally um, making patterns, cutting and gluing pieces of sheet foam. It could be open cell like upholstery foam. It could be closed cell like EVA or cross link polyethylene, more popularly known as L two hundred. That uh, you know. Uh, you glue it together and make a three-dimensional shape. And the great thing about it is the shapes are hollow. But uh, uh, depending on, you know, the the way it's fabricated, they have a structural integrity. They, they're still flexible. But at the same time, uh, you know, they're very, very lightweight. Right. Uh, they, uh, you know, and to do like a creature body or something as big as a, a carnosaur, you know, and that sort of thing, to try to sculpt, mold, and cast something, yeah. <laughs> not only are you going to spending three or four times the amount on it, but then, you know, it's for a one-off, and then, you know, what do you do with the mold afterwards? Right. You throw it out? You do, I, I, I kept a lot of uh, uh, pattern files, you know, oh, that were cool. done on like pound paper. Mm -hmm. You know, folded them up, stuck them in a big envelope, marked it, and you know there were times. You know, there was a uh, a horse character that I'd uh, done uh, for the Kyoto Brothers uh, uh, that they subcontracted me uh, for, and so I kept the patterns. And then later on, when I did the new cap and kangaroo back in the late '90s, um, I looked at the, the horse and I said, you know, if I just scale this pattern down and change some of the outer features, it's Mr. Moose. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, we did a, a, and this was, you know, back when I had my company, Total Fabrication, we'd done a huge crocodile for Blood Surf. And, yeah, I saw pictures uh, and, of that. It looks amazing. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, that was for for Beekler, and we fabricated you know, from behind the front legs all the way to the snout, and that was about ten or twelve feet long. Wow. So it's supposed to be like a thirty foot crocodile if you had the, the body and the the tail on it. So we created these intricate patterns and they worked out great. Obviously it was the form, you know, the detail was later added with upholstery foam, which we did, uh, you know, various things to create the scales mm -hmm. and the other, but that shape, we wound up using it again uh, for an animatronic uh, uh, crocodile we made for the 13th gate in uh, 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 Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is a haunted attraction, mm -hmm. a commercial haunted attraction. And then after that, I used the patterns again to create a open mouth crocodile for a photo shoot uh, for Disney Dreams, uh, shot by Andy Leibovitz. And, uh, uh, you know, it was the, the, the croc from Peter Pan. Oh, you know, wow. So. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the 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 thing about foam fabrication I find really interesting is is that it's so it's so kind of immediate compared to sculpting and molding and casting and seaming and painting. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a process and and just just as weird in its own way with making you know a flat sheet of foam and making patterns and knowing how to glue the stuff. But it's so. I don't know. It's like I'm always completely blown away at guys like you who are just, you know, the the very best at foam fabrication. The stuff that you guys come up with are like I can't believe someone made that out of sheets of foam. I mean, it looks so yeah. good. It looks so good. It's 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 it, and and like I said, it it never really. I felt like it it never kind of got the love in the makeup effects uh, field that all, that the other artistic disciplines got. You know what I mean? Don't you think? Yeah, no, no, I, I agree, you know, a lot of people, you know, even, you know, even the effects guys and the various shops looked upon it as, you know, really quick and dirty right. and not something that would be used on a bigger budget project. But I know for a fact, uh, uh, another friend of mine from Florida, Steve Sleep, who sadly passed away a long time ago, uh, um, he, uh, Rick Baker had him do prototypes, full-size mm. prototypes for things you know, before they would actually start sculpting right. used for the final piece. Uh, the Kyoto brothers had me do, uh, they had a Trantor, the troll for Ernest Scared Stupid. They had me do a, 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 a an actual scale version of the head, mm. you know, and it had some reasonable detail to yeah. it that, uh, uh, you know, uh, that uh you know i i did it in like a day right, or two right right <laughs> okay yeah that's the right size it's, you it's know just so, it's so cool just to 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 um that you guys have pushed to something that a lot of people regarded as kind of like like you said a quick and dirty thing but you guys have pushed it to the point where it's like you know you're using these in films in in commercials and they look you know pristine when you see them they look amazing I mean, they're definitely they're definitely more suited to uh, stuff that you know certain things like uh, spacesuits or armor suits or uh, uh, um, you know cartoony type costumes. But mm -hmm. but this but but you, you know guys like you um, 
have pushed it to where it's like it's you know there's things that rival sculptured things i think when it's when it's done as well as it can be done which is really pretty cool yeah one of the things and uh, and i certainly wasn't the first person to do this but uh one of the things i have uh, you know continued to pursue is coding right them. and you know once you code it then you know all all of a sudden you know i'd send clients pictures of things in progress right. and it was just a white foam thing and you could see the seams and all that but once we took out the seams coded it even before like the final paint job they go oh my god right. now i see it you know it, it's you know like looking basically like you know uh, a clay sculpture right. you know it's all in color you know, but, uh, you know, frequently we uh, uh, we would tint the coatings. So, you know, not only would it create, you know, a, uh, a solid, flexible surface on the foam, but, uh, you know, you could, uh, uh, it wound up, the, uh, the tint wound up being like the base right, color. Right, right. So, and then, you know, uh, like, for example, Blood Surf, uh, um, uh, God, I'm trying, his first name was Christopher. Um, oh, I can't remember, but he, he was working for Beekler. So once we did the uh, the cosmetic uh, full-size uh, croc for Blood Surf, you know, they put mechanics mm. in it and so forth, which were pneumatically controlled because they had to shoot out in the jungles of the Philippines. Wow. <laughs> so there's no electricity. And uh, they're, they're, they had this cart with air tanks on the back. <laughs> and uh, um, I, think, uh, I think you can find uh, uh, on my YouTube channel the, uh, the video that we, uh, of the initial test. And unlike you know, theme park animatronics, which have to like, go, work over right. and over and over again, they would always kind of slow them down a bit so they didn't cause damage. But since this was for a movie, they were operating this thing at full bore. The head thrashing around and snapping, oh, cool. and it was it was it was pretty amazing. But uh, Chris uh, did this gorgeous paint job on the mm -hmm. thing that uh, matched the, the miniatures that they were uh, doing as well. And you know that was the full sell on it. You know because like even if you're doing a creature suit and you know want to you know have sculpted head and hands, which usually is the case. Right. You know even stuff we've done you know uh sculpting a full body for a one-off you know is you know, again like i said time consuming and expensive and all that so you know uh there are ways of adding levels of detail to it uh that you know it, it, it's the body for crying out loud you're going to be mostly focusing on the head and tail and if you've got a great paint job on it it's going to blend right. It's gonna blend um, hair, hair so. with fur and hair, and you know oh, all these oh, yeah. all these layers really add up add up to you can you know it it, it looks amazing in the end. Uh, you know Jim Beinke? Do you know Jim Beinke? That name sounds familiar, but I'm sorry, I, I don't think I know. He's him. he's actually the guy that got me kind of got my foot in the door. He hired me for uh, the the Magic Mountain Halloween haunt when I was still in high school oh, okay. and. But he ended up working at Rick's and working at Tony Gardner's with me. Um, and he he his seeing his foam fabrication stuff is really when I started going, wow. You know, I really started thinking about the potential of what you can do with foam fabrication because he would do like 
these amazing kind of like demons for something that's in a you know a quick shot in a low budget film, and he'd get this little side job, and you know he it, it he, you know once it's it's sculpting, it's it essentially is sculpting. It's just a, a weird way of sculpting with a weird material. But once he would get these you know these things built and so quickly um, and painted and haired, they looked really amazing. You know, I was it just made me go like. Wow, sometimes you know it's more appropriate to do something in a in a to foam fabricate something like everything doesn't have to be sculpted in clay and molded and cast and seamed and all that you know. Or if you're over at Legacy, uh, uh, digitally rendered, and right? Printed. <laughs> Printing <laughs> but, the mold, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, uh, oh God, I I had something on. In, on on the tip of my head and tip of my tongue rather. And I'm not sure, uh, what I was going to say, uh, yeah, cause there's, there's been, you know, so many things, but yeah, you know, um, yeah. Uh, oh, that's what I was going to say is, uh, one of the ways I describe foam fabrication, it's a cross between two very different disciplines and that's sculpting, mm -hmm. as you said, and then pattern making, right. which is traditionally, you know, for seamstresses and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, quite a few um, uh, uh, sewing experts I've used over the years do foam fabrication, but there are certain techniques where you can uh, uh, generate patterns. Uh, there's a formula that uh, I, I've taught uh, to my crew called, we call it the pod formula. And you can take any rounded shape and uh, using geometry, which was something I learned in high school, which I had no idea I would ever use in real life, <laughs> right. uh, to, uh, to create these uh, segments, you know, that, you know, uh, have registration marks so they line up perfectly and you can create a sphere, an oval shape, you can create like right, a pear shape, right. peanut, anything, anything rounded like that. So that's very common. Of course, that was came in handy for a lot of people who uh, were working in mascots, which again is a uh, uh, is a, a an industry uh, not you know uh, regulated to just here in Southern California, but you know that's it's been going for decades, and people have been using that. Uh, another thing that is uh, uh, great is if you have a 3D model, whether you're replicating something that already exists or uh, you have a character, say, that only existed in two dimensions, a cartoon character, uh, I would have a sculptor sculpt a maquette, mm. you know, usually the size of a baseball or a softball in clay. And if it was a, a symmetrical character, which, of course, they normally are, you'd only refine one side. You wouldn't put any detail in it, but you just have the basic forms where there was a dog with a muzzle and a nose or something mm -hmm. and the big eyes and all that. And what we would do is uh, it would be an oil-based clay of some sort, and we'd laminate aluminum foil over the surface, you know, smooth it down as smooth as possible, avoiding wrinkles. Mm -hmm. And then we would add uh, masking tape over that. And then this required a little bit of judgment and expertise. Then you would uh, draw uh, uh, where your cut lines would be. 
and then where uh, you would to cut it off and remove it. And we'd only do one side. Right. We'd pick the side we like the best and just do that one side, you know, have a center line and all that sort of thing. And then, uh, uh, you know, we would mark it with a Sharpie and also make these little hash marks across the lines. That's for alignment. Oh, okay. So, yeah, because when you take it apart and see all these pieces and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm <laughs> right. looking at. You know, th uh, there's ways of kind of, you know, keeping a handle on it uh, to, uh, you know, put numbers right. on each, uh, <laughs> each pattern. And then these days, it's so easy with cell phones. You just shoot it from every angle. So you've got an assembly reference when you go back. Right. And right. Then, uh, then there's various ways of scaling up the patterns. Uh, more recently, I've gone to um, uh, putting all the, the the tape patterns onto uh, a piece of paper, scanning it in, and then generate figuring out the scale at which it has to be enlarged to create a, a full size PDF and take it over to Office Depot or Staples that have the large format printers, print mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. And then you cut it out, and then you know, uh, you know, that you've got to flip the pattern to make the reverse side, and put it all together. It doesn't always work perfectly because, like I say, if you're doing bevel cuts and things, sometimes right. it looks a little like, okay, this doesn't look quite right. But then you go can go in and tweak it, and you know that's how we did. Like I said, the crocodile for blood surf, the patterns were made off a small little uh, sculpt for the the crocodile puppet. Uh, we sculpted my cats of a number of different characters that were a little too intricate to just use the pod formula mm -hmm. for and, you know, uh, uh, generated something that, you know, if you had the technology, you know, you could digitally design it in a 3D program on a computer and then have a printer uh, printed up. But, you know, most people working from home so if you've got a 3D printer at all, you know, you can print something, you know, like maybe a few inches tall. Right. But even a head sometimes is like 16, 18 inches tall by the same amount wide. So it's like, you know, how are you going to do that? Right, you right, know? Right. This is a way to do it. Uh, another thing on that uh, is, uh, you know, a quick and dirty way of, uh, or not even a dirty way, it's actually a very clean way <laughs> to make a body cast. <laughs> is put somebody in a, a in a unitard and wrap them with duct tape I do several layers of duct tape and again you have to use the uh, you know judgment of where you split it and usually you take it off in several big chunks and then the trick is to get it to lie flat you know like a pattern yeah. so if you've got something that's got a bulge on it you say i'm going to cut a little a slice here and and then it opens up and lies flat okay and if you make a mistake you know okay that wasn't the right place to do that put another piece of oh, tape so you can make a you could basically do like a body cast foam a foam fabricated body cast based on using the duct tape as a pattern yeah, that's absolutely. amazing i didn't even i never knew that there, there were some people that were doing it on YouTube, some cosplayers, but every time I saw it, they said, oh, just go ahead and stuff the duct tape thing. Right. Yeah, so you've got a dummy. So it's like, well, it's not a really firm right. dummy. You know, whereas an L200 uh, dummy or, or, or uh, a, a mini cell phone dummy would, would hold its shape but still be super lightweight. That's so cool. Uh, you can actually fiberglass over, oh, wow. over the phone if you wanted a more right. permanent 
That's dummy. amazing. Uh, so uh, uh, that's one way. And, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's uh, you know, what we do is, of course, cut the patterns apart, transfer them to foam, and then assemble the foam and check the measurements. Sometimes the the thickness of the foam makes it a little, tends to make it a little bigger. So if you want it really, right, really right. accurate, you go in and, you know, take out a little foam and get it to the exact size and shape you want. You could also do really cool stuff with different, actually speaking of thicknesses, with like thinner foams, like bunching them up and gathering and creating like weird waddles and wrinkles. And I mean, it looks really natural too. I've, I've done that a lot. I've done that a lot, particularly with the uh, open cell foam. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the open cell, open cell for people who don't know is the is it is like upholstery foam. It's it, it, you you can see little tiny pores right. in it. It it you know it, it's very very flexible. It's like the foam in your couch, it's, basically. Uh, yeah, the, I, actually, the, the the good upholstery foam is really a dense kind of rubbery foam, oh. and it's very heavy. But there's basically even even at my uh, uh, foam source, you know, they refer to it as the cheap stuff, you know, <laughs> right. and, and it is very inexpensive. Or uh, uh, when I first started working uh, with the closed cell foams, even if the final thing was going to be closed cell, I would kind of prototype things in the soft foam because it was, you know, the open cell foam because it was uh, a lot uh, cheaper, right. <laughs> you know. I'd say, oh, okay, this this needs to be changed here before I start cutting into the more expensive uh, close close right, cells. Right. What were you saying though? I'm sorry, I interrupted you and asked you to tell people what open. What were we talking? Oh, 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 yeah. Well, like for example, on the Carnosaur, we had a um, you had a situation where the neck had to move left and right, move the head left and right, and up and down. And actually, if you combine those movements, you got a really realistic rotational kind of movement out of it. You know, for the from the pneumatics that uh, John Crawford had added to it. Uh, but I made the basic shape of the neck in a uh, a reticulated foam, which is a polyethylene foam that's a lot stronger mm -hmm. than the upholstery foam. Of course, it's also much more expensive, right. but it doesn't break down as fast. It doesn't rip. So that was the, the foundation. And then I started using the uh, uh, cheap upholstery foam to create the wrinkles. And in that case, since it actually had to move, I knew from experience that once this was uh, uh, sealed and coated with latex, it wasn't going to stretch. It, does, it have, doesn't right. have any more stretch than latex and polyfoam right. does. But it will compress. So I designed and I worked one side of the time, the left side and the right side, and then, you know, did the front and the back and would test the head by just physically moving it to see, okay, it's compressing nicely. Now at it's extreme thing. Is it going to, is there too much tension? Is it going to mm -hmm. rip? You know, and yeah, you know, that took several, <laughs> several days to uh, engineer, but yeah, there's great ways of creating fatty right. wrinkles, and the texture and so forth, uh, just by you know combining glue and pinching the foam and and doing things like that. You know, one of the things we did a lot of on Carnosaur was uh, burning the scales in. Right. The foam. Yeah, I've seen that done. Yeah, we were using soldering irons recently. I discovered wood burning tools are about a hundred degrees hotter and and work even oh, better, wow. especially on the closed cell foam. 
The only problem with burning the upholstery foam is it releases an acid cyanide gas. Oh. <laughs> it's not deadly, but it's not healthy. Right. You don't. But thankfully, it's, you you actually see the smoke coming from it, and then you do things like set up a fan to right. ventilate the uh, the stuff uh, the smoke away from you. Don't have the fan blowing on you because it cools down your burning right. tool, and you're like, why, why isn't it burning? Uh, so yeah, that's uh, uh, you know that's something that you know definitely you do not want to do you know in your bedroom right. like we used to do, <laughs> uh, but uh, or in your living right. room for that matter. You know you definitely need like kind of an open air space you know to where the stuff can vent out. But there's you know all sorts of ways we had to create recreate Godzilla's texture for uh, uh, a reproduction we did for a private collector of Godzilla 2000 which was very intimidating because, as you know, Shinichi Wakasa, who created the Godzilla suits from 2001, mm -hmm. had designed that. And I knew him personally from seeing him at Monster yeah, Palooza. So, you know, and, and, that, and at that point, they were sculpting and molding right. the suits. Uh, I would have preferred doing one of the older ones from the, you know, like original series. But we had to find, you know, a, a way of doing it. And I think we wound up drawing the scale pattern onto the sheet foam that was over it. There was a lot of L200 uh, or, or closed cell foam underneath it to give it the support mm -hmm. because it was a large right. suit, you know, not a form-fitting right. muscle suit, thing like that. So we laid the, the, the sheet foam over it, and then we drew out the scale pattern. And then <clears throat> using uh, razors or razor knives, cut you know, V trenches where all the lines were. And this was very tricky because if you, you know, weren't paying close <laughs> attention, uh, you would mess it up. So uh, basically, we used a heat gun to char it, and it gave it this incredible, oh, wow. you know, that bark-like, yeah. you know, great texture on oh, it. Cool. Of course, it produced clouds of acid cyanide <laughs> smoke. So again, they had to be super careful right. doing it. And then you have to seal it with something, right? I mean, you would well, seal it anyway, but is... still, it's like it leaves a sticky mess after you do the the uh, the burning. Burning, yeah. Well, the way we uh, the way I've been sealing foam for years, and this is not ideal for something you want super smooth and clean, uh, but. Uh, I saw a very, we did a variation of this at uh, uh, Tom Berman's studio where he actually sp sprayed skin flex onto, a, it was a really open cell foam of these uh, fat suits that we right. made. Um, and by adjusting the gun, he went from a, a liquid coat kind of as a primer and then adjusted it so it sprayed almost like a cobweb. Oh, wow. And it's a very gentle, delicate cobweb that went over the stuff. I, I think they had to build up several layers to make it strong enough because it's very, very delicate. And from there on, you could spray or brush latex or balloon rubber mm -hmm. onto it. And, and that's, uh, that's how they made the fat suits. Uh, uh, some years later, I was working on uh, a movie for Charlie called Arena. And Steve Wang actually came in and helped work on what was a foam fabricated suit. About two dozen people had touched that thing. <laughs> and I saw him using uh, Spray 74, right. which is the fast uh, uh, glue that 3M makes, 
onto it, and he was using like a orange stick to kind of make sure that it wasn't webbing between scales. He was pressing it down and building it up, and actually the glue was actually kind of giving a slightly bubbly texture, which added another dimension right. of texture to it. And then, you know, uh, once the glue dries, it still can be uh, uh, tacky to the touch, but as long as it's not liquidy, you brush latex on mm. it. And that's what I did for the Carnosaur. That's what I did for the Edwood Octopus. Uh, that's what I did for, you know, dozens of good creature type things over the years. And it was latex. So we, we reproduced the Gorn from uh, the original Star Trek series uh, for a, a video game commercial with William Shatner. And uh, we, just like Wah Chang did, uh, we did have somebody sculpt the head. And it was a beautiful recreation of, of the Gorn. And uh, but the, even the hands and feet were foam fabricated, wow. and so all the muscle body and so forth, and uh, you know uh, spray glue and sealed with multiple layers of balloon latex. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's so funny because all the stuff you're talking about is like all my years working in the business, I would see like patterns with numbers on them and registration points and people spraying 77 foam on foam. And it's like, because it wasn't my department and I was, I was like, I was completely focused on designing, sculpting or painting, you know, that was it. That's all I was into. And it's like, I didn't really pay attention to the costuming department much or the foam fabricators. Um, but it's like, I would always look at that stuff and I would just, it would just completely go over my head. But now that you're, now that you're explaining it to me, it's like, Oh, obviously that's what they were doing. I mean, it makes, total sense that you know all the just it's just funny because all the stuff you're talking about is like foam fabrication makes makes sense to me now you know yeah yeah interesting little story i was uh mike deke had a company uh uh for uh charlie for a while doing makeup effects uh stuff and they were doing doll man versus demonic toys mm -hmm. and i had a week her character to do a Jack in the Box, a Baby Oopsie Daisy, and a uh, and then this was a new character it was sort of like a you know a fighting man action figure. Uh, the head was going to be sculpted on that one, but the Jack in the Box had to be about I think it was almost six feet tall. Wow! Just the head, just wow. the head. <laughs> and then the Baby Oopsie Daisy was a costume but because the head you know on a baby is so large right. you know it was it was big it was about 18 inches across i wasn't very happy with the way I, that turned out but you know i basically had to do it in a week yeah. uh so thankfully i think they don't shoot it much from the front right. <laughs> in the movie but the jack-in-the-box uh turned out uh, turned out beautifully and so did the suit well interestingly enough uh, ted haynes who was kind of the uh, Mike Deke's shop supervisor at the time. I was working in a little room up at the front, so I wasn't out with the rest of the guys. And he was also going to play the action man mm -hmm. character too. And he kind of popped in and popped his head in and looked at the stuff I was doing. And he got, he got really fascinated by it. Now, did he ask me questions? Did he ask me advice? <laughs> no. But months later, he was over at Beekler's working on the movie Raptor and he was foam fabricating these amazing velociraptors. And, you know, I can't take credit for teaching right. Ted how to fabricate, but I, I, I think I definitely inspired right, yeah. that. And, of course, Ted now is the foam fabricator over at uh, Legacy, oh. formerly. Right, okay. 
Yeah, that's that's another thing I wanted to to talk about a little bit. I, I want to get into also your your whole career because you've just been around. You've been worked on so many movies. It's crazy. I know the audience is going to be really interested interested to hear. But um, one you know one great application of foam fabrication that people a lot of people don't realize are um, the understructures for like you know gorilla suits and you know chimp suits and stuff that gets uh uh you know ventilated hair over spandex you know what i mean just because yes. it's so light oh absolutely. it's so lightweight and and you've worked you've done some undersuits oh yeah i think i did one years ago for a show at makeup makeup and effects labs i don't remember what the show was called but it was for a gorilla suit and i think we also made sort of a little smaller ape mm. or chimp type suit uh the one i really remember uh was uh uh my friend dave miller was making a new gorilla suit for don mcleod who is right. kind of one of my uh favorite gorilla guys yeah. you know uh, don and dave and i used to drink a lot over at residuals bar in studio <laughs> city but i had done um uh, so he had gotten, and it was a good cast because it was a body cast of Don kind of leaning forward, you know, and his hands were, you know, when they did the cast, were on some kind of support. So to simulate the arm extension. So it, it was definitely good to build a gorilla on. It's harder to do it on an upright right. mannequin. So we started with a, um, you know, bodysuit on the mannequin. And, um, uh, um, we, I basically, and I used the reticulated foam, which was going to, I knew it was going to last longer and I put it together, you know, glued it together on the, uh, on the bodysuit. But one, one of the things I did to reinforce the seams was you can run a bead of latex because that's foam is so open cell, right. uh, run a bead of latex over the seams. So once that dries, it's never going to come right. apart. And then a, a seamstress came in and covered the whole thing with spandex. And, and, and of course, the reinforced seam gave her a good thing to grip the needle in if she right. wanted to it to follow some specific contours. Now, Rick Baker, of course, uh, has taken this to a new level of art. You know, he for his gorilla suits from, I'm sure, Gorillas in the Mist and so forth like that, they would actually sculpt individual muscles uh, and cast them in different densities of foam. Right. If it was something representing a bone, they would probably do a, a fairly dense urethane foam, but then at the same time, they would do some super spongy soft ones. And uh, those, instead of using uh, glue, they would actually cover each individual muscle in spandex and sew them together. Sometimes they would leave things loose. Right. So it would give it some independent movement and that sort of thing. Those things are absolutely works of art, you know, especially since, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily read the movement, right. <laughs> you know, underneath, you know, a, a, a fabric and, and fur costume right. uh, oversuit. Uh, although you, uh, back way back when we first met Rick at that convention, you know, and this was since King Kong, and I think he'd done the Dino costume for uh, Kentucky Fried Movie mm -hmm. at that point. 
but he was talking about how much he uh, loved Charlie Gamora's suit from Phantom of the Rue Morgue. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charlie had been in the Lugosi Murders in the Rue Morgue ages ago. Of course, they got in close-ups of a live chimpanzee for that. (laughs) So it didn't remotely match (laughs) the gorilla suit. But on the Phantom of the Rue Morgue, which was not only in color, but in 3D, he did this great suit, and he had bag let uh, rubber bags filled with oil underneath the chest wow. and you know so when he did certain movements and shook you would see the chest move you know like real muscles wow. and honestly I, i've watched that film since and you can see it in a couple of shots where he's hanging on the bars and shaking back and forth and years decades later I, uh, they were having a 3D festival at the Egyptian and I got there early and was walking by the pig and whistle and, uh, sitting with Eddie Yang was Rick. And I said, Oh, of course you have to come and pay homage to Charlie and this liquid filled (laughs) gorilla chest, you know? That's hilarious. Now I got to watch that movie. I, I've never seen that. I've never seen that one. It's, it, it's really good. It turns up on AMC uh, the sad thing is I know, because I've got a, uh, a 3D TV as long as it lasts, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they were supposed to release it on the same uh, disc with House of Wax mm. and decided against it, and it never came out in 3D. And, and, and to my knowledge, I don't, it may have come out on VHS, you know, back in the day, but it's not, not had a DVD release. Wow. I actually... DVR'd it off of uh, Turner, and I'm I'm leaving it on on my DVR because you know it's it's just such a hard one to find, but it's really oh, good. Cool. I, I I saw it as a kid, and there was one, there's one scene I won't uh, spoil it, but one scene that scared the living crap out. Oh, of me excellent. As a kid. Okay, now now I'm on a quest. I'm gonna find that thing. Yes. Um, it's Phantom of the Room Phantom Org. of the Room no. Org. Okay. <laughs> But it's it's the you know it's the post story roughly right you know? right okay so we've we've you know filled everybody in on foam fabrication and 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 all its applications let's talk a little bit about your vast career you so you you I mean obviously you were I'm I'm sure you were a monster kid like me growing oh, up of course famous Absolutely. monsters and you know, yeah monsters. all the all the same stuff it's like we're from the same. I don't know, just the, the, that same weird mutation. We all have that same strange mutation where we love monsters and and cool horror movies and stuff like that. Um, so you came out. You 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 talked about coming out, meeting Rick, coming out here, working for um, uh, Tom Berman, who was you know one of the godfathers of makeup effects, one of the big you know early great makeup effects artists. Um, so where did you go from there? How did your, um, you know, how did, how did your career develop from then? Because you've gone on to do like screenwriting and directing and all kinds of stuff. Ironically, uh, I was more drawn to writing and directing than I was, uh, doing makeup effects, but you know, I'd done some stage stuff in Florida, which I knew would, no one would care about out Mm. here. So I, I put together a portfolio of my, you know, makeup and uh, makeup effects and fabrication type stuff, 
you know, so, uh, you know, I figured that would get me in the door more quickly. So while I was taking jobs. Oh, so you were, you were thinking more like you're going to come to Hollywood and be a writer and make movies. And and it was sort of like the effects was your way in. Uh, it it was interesting. And, uh, um, and there was a point in the late 80s where I, I'd written a number of things. I even wrote the uh, uh, first draft of the original Puppet Master. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but did a lot of uh, upbeat movies, a lot of stuff for Dave Dakota, things like Nightmare Sisters, Dr. Alien, The Girl I Want, uh, uh, that sort of thing. And, you know, very... Uh, a lot of stuff that wound up playing on USA up all right. night. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, uh, so it was, uh, you know, and, and a lot of my stuff tended to be more uh, uh, comedic. It would always have a genre element, but it would have, you know, uh, more, more humor mm-hmm. in it. Uh, although the puppet master of course was, was uh, done seriously and, and a few other things. Uh, so, but uh, the thing was, it was, uh, um, I didn't realize at the at time, you know, I was naive enough to think, you know, well, guys like Joe Dante and all those guys, you know, started out on these low budget movies and then worked their way up. The difference was back in the seventies, all that stuff, uh, went to theaters, right. you know, dry or second run houses. But, you know, like for example, the first Piranha is still one of the highest grossing indie films, you know, ever. Right. You know, and that's what got uh, Joe the howling and then went on to doing uh, Gremlins. Uh, the difference was, I, this was 1982, and the home video market was coming in, right. drive-ins closing down. There were lots of multiplexes, so, you know, it was like, um, gee, if you go to, uh, you know, a multiplex, gee, are we going to see the new Eddie Murphy movie, or are we going to see uh, Deathstalker 2? <laughs> And of course, the average person would. Of course, I would have gone to see right. that. <laughs> of course, but uh, uh, the average person was going to see the Eddie Murphy movie. So it, even though Corman was still really, I remember seeing uh, Sorceress out here at a, at a multiplex, mm-hmm. uh, for example. But you know, they were starting to die down. All this direct-to-video stuff was happening, and instead of like a dozen or or, or two movies coming out a year that were indies that played drive-ins and such. There were hundreds right. of made-for-video movies that went uh, straight to video. And honestly, you know, we'd have a couple of weeks to make them, you know, limited budgets. And if you wind my stuff up with, you know, 20 other guys, I'm not going to stand right. out. You know, you're lucky, you know, if you, you know, get it all together <laughs> and it makes sense and it's watchable. Right. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you put in like one or two cool shots right. that, you know, might be dubbed as creative, but you know, no, it, it was, it was, it was a completely different like a thing. Factory. So I long, long, um, gave up the aspirations of working for the majors, but I, I still like working in indie films. I found myself at a crossroads in the early nineties where I kind of gotten out of effects and was writing and directing, but I wasn't making enough to support myself mm-hmm. and went through some really bad, uh, financial times and then wound up, uh, thankfully got a break from uh, the Kyoto brothers. They brought me back to uh, do that Trantor head mm-hmm. and so forth. And then uh, then help uh, 
run the shop temporarily uh, for them uh, while Bart Mixon was on location. So I, you know, uh, but it got me going again. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where I did things like the Carnosaur and that sort of thing. And then uh, finally I said, well, you know, even, and I did write a couple of things that got made during that time. Uh, but I, you know, again, I looked at, things realistically, okay, I'm making more money as an effects guy and a fabricator than I am as a uh, writer-director. So I wound up, um, you know, looking at it, and I, I worked for so many companies, and I keyed various big projects, and I said, you know, I've got almost as much responsibility as the owner of the company has. Right. The trade-off is, you know, if I messed up, you know, worst case, I'd get fired, whereas the head of the company could get sued. But at the same time, you know, if there was any money, real money to be made other than, you know, a day rate or a weekly rate, uh, that's why owning a shop, which I I said back in the 80s, a number of people heard me say, I would never open a shop. (laughs) No way. The hell with that. But that's not what I want to do. But then in 1995, I opened Total Fabrication, which... uh, it wasn't all, you know, a bed of roses for 24 years. I mean, uh, especially towards the end. But it was, uh, you know, it it was a great thing, you know. And uh, during that time, I trained a lot of artists to come to work for me because I, you know, the bigger the projects we we got, the harder it was for me to do hands-on right. work. That's the problem with running a I, shop. <laughs> I would, you know, I would do a lot of the design work. And, you know, usually say, this is how we're going to do this. And, you know, I remember one time some kids uh, said to me, why don't we use your thing? And I, uh, instead of something else that I had decided on. And I said, okay, my experience with urethane is that it's virtually impossible to paint. And, uh, uh, you know, if you look at it harshly, the stuff cracks and flakes off. (laughs) And so I said, and I just looked at him, I said, have you painted anything with your thing before? He goes, uh, uh, yeah. no. I said, well, do you want to take responsibility for this under the pain of being, you know, laid off if it doesn't work? And he goes, uh, no. And I said, okay, we'll do it my way. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, but this is not to say I don't listen to, you know, people working for me. Right. You know, uh, if they if they come up with a better idea and can prove to me it'll work, you know, and I've I've had ideas that that that, that tank, you know, and that's the problem when you run a shop, even if it's somebody else's right. fault. Like I said, you're the one ultimately responsible. I can't point. Well, this guy was working mm-hmm. for me. He, uh, you know, he messed this up, and uh, we don't have enough time. <laughs> you know, no, the, the clients don't want to hear right, that. Right. Uh, that's the last thing they want to hear. They don't want to hear all, you know, uh, you know rainbows and flowers yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So that's, uh, um, you know, so, you know, uh, but the, the great thing about having done this for so long was um, the fact that, you know, you, you have this kind of file cabinet of, of old projects in the back of your head and sometimes something that you haven't used in years. Good example. I was talking about, you know, coding open cell phone mm-hmm. and so forth. And, you know, I, you know, uh, prim- primarily use spray glue. We were doing these goldfish costume puppets for a commercial 
and uh, they were all uh, closed cell phone, except for the mouths had to move, you know, kind of on a hinge. And I said, that has to be soft foam. And I said, but the, the, the texture of the uh, spray glue is is not going to look right. They're all of a sudden, you know, just right around their mouth and throat area, they're going to look mm -hmm. rough. And I thought back to, um, you know, back to Space Hunter, where they use the, the, the Skinflex urethane paint as a, as a sealant. And I, I think because it was such a small area, you know, one of my guys applied it with an airbrush. You know, of course, as you know, the Skinflex paint sticks to high right. heaven. It's one of the nastier yeah, spells yes. out there. Terrible, but, you terrible. know, we did it. And uh, I think sprayed on the balloon latex over it, and it was absolutely seamless. Wow. If you were to see a photo of these, I can't tell where the soft foam ends and the, the uh, closed cell foam begins. It's, uh, you know, so, but that was something that if I hadn't thought of it, you right. know, and, and we've, we've had projects, you know, start going wrong and going, oh my God, okay, what, yeah, what, what are we going to do to save this? Right. <laughs> and, you know, one thing that hasn't helped, especially in the last decade, is the state of California trying to protect us from ourselves right. and banning certain stuff. You know, uh, the uh, contact cement that I most oh, prefer is barge. Barge, yeah, that's that's right. Barge, and that's a toluene-based um, uh, glue, and toluene has. Uh, you know, high VOCs. Uh, I can't remember what that even stands for. Yeah. Uh, it's the amount of like solvent it, that evaporates up off it, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, thankfully, all the local leather workers and shoe repairs guys uh, went up in arms when they temporarily tried to uh, ban barge. Mm -hmm. And so barge is still available here. Ah. Uh, however... I did a preemptive strike, you know, because I, you know, uh, there's been a number of products that I've had to find alternatives for, and it turns out the barge makes a, several low VOC contacts, yeah. and it, that has one solvent for all of them, and so we got a, a small, some small cans of it and tested it, and it worked great, worked fine. But the interesting thing is, it's like, oh, but these are low VOC, so these are really comparatively safer. You know what the solvent is? What? Acetone and methyl ethyl ketone. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, two, two higher ups on the uh, hit parade of percentages. Right. So while it may be low VOC, it is not any safer to right. use, certainly not indoors or, you know, you know uh, with a respirator or whatever. So, but we found that the other thing that we used to use and we ordered it in five gallon drums was Plastidin. Plastidin? Uh, oh, the, the, that dipping, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. stools and you stuff. Can, yeah, it, in, uh, you can get it elsewhere, but in California, you, you cannot order it in any quantity. You can go to the hardware store and get the little cans you get that the handle right. of a screwdriver. <laughs> and then they have the aerosol cans, but it has to be so thin. Right. Uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, that was, that's a toluene base too, but they used to sell a proprietary solvent. I know we're getting really technical. Hey, no, I love technical. I'm, I'm all about that. Hopefully we're not boring the, the listeners, but, uh, 
the uh, um, uh, but the solvent they sold had a few other chemicals in it, which I don't even remember anymore, uh, that worked great. And I remember we even t had just some plain toluene and tested it. And I said, well, it sort of thins it, but it doesn't do as good a job and so forth. So the issue was not, I, I even, I've even smuggled plastic dip out here <laughs> in recent years, uh, but the, from another state. Right. And, uh, but, you know, the fact is you need the solvent, especially if you're thinning it to clean your gun and all that other right. stuff. And maybe if it starts getting a little goopy, you know, so, uh, so we tried a variety of other things. We found a, a, a water-based uh, neoprene contact cement that was good. I actually use it in my my Fab 101 workshops, you know, for sealing the uh, the projects after the students are finished. But we found out the hard way that spraying it was a bitch because uh, if you got overspray, if it wound up settling on you know the far side of the piece, a little pebbly residue, we even we couldn't even get it off of the electric sanders. Oh my God! Wow. It was tough, and you basically, you know, if you needed the really smooth surface, you basically ruined the right. piece. So the recent thing I found out, and, you know, they ought to hire me as a sponsor because I discovered this from listening to some of the cosplay websites, uh, is a, a thing called Creature Cast Rubber. Hmm. And it's a neoprene-based rubber. There's a company up north that makes it exclusively. I worked with liquid neoprene in the past, and I remember you could cast it on, um, cast it out of a plaster mold like latex, and then it would dry hard, but it had a high shrinkage rate. Ah, okay. Does uh, it have a catalyst? I've never used that before. No, no, no. And the last time I saw the old-style neoprene being used, we had rented a ventriloquist dummy head for a project because we were having to make something similar um, for a soap opera, of all things. And I found out that this uh, uh, old-timer was using uh, liquid neoprene. Uh, and in plaster molds, he said, it's, you know... It's not, a, you know, it doesn't stink up your shop like fiberglass huh. does. Now it picks up detail well. Once it dries hard, it does shrink, but apparently it shrunk at the same rate, so the, the separate jaw was in scale with the right. head. You know, you just knew going in that, you know, if you wanted it a certain size, you had to sculpt it a little bigger. And you can cut it, you can drill it, you can sand it. It's a hard, shatterproof plastic. Weird. It's, it's, it's neat stuff. Uh, I had tried coating foam with it years ago, but because it dried so hard, it was like an eggshell on the outside. Right. Of, I mean, if the foam flexed at all, it would crack. Right. But then this creature cast, uh, they make it uh, in they make it in, in neutral and black. Neutral is like more like a, a, a latex yeah. color. Uh, and uh, they make it in uh, four different densities, uh, uh, rigid, semi-rigid, flexible, and super flexible. And I haven't played around with the flexible ones yet, but I would love to figure out a way to use it for coding open cell phone. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'd already heard from uh, the cosplayers that they preferred the semi-rigid for stuff, and, you know... And we tried it at first, and I thought, well, I don't like this. And I went back to the website, and they said, there's a thickening agent. And I said, well, why would you need to thicken it if you're spraying it? 
but apparently it gives the material a surface tension, so when you spray it, it's less likely to drip or mm. fish eye or something like wow. that. So it goes on, and the last project I did with it, was, which was the recent movie that I worked on that I want to talk about in a little mm. bit, uh, but uh, 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 Matt Folletta here had never sprayed it. He did some tests, and the stuff looked gorgeous. Mm. I mean, just nice nice smooth surfaces i mean we didn't need it glossy smooth right. like for some project the beautiful thing about creature cast you know i love some people just use it as a sealer we would put for things we're sending out to clients that have to be nearly bulletproof i mean we would go sometimes 10 or 12 coats mm. you know and you know and of course uh, the neutral could be tinted with the house baked tents, just like you can with latex and other materials or plastic dip. And, and it's, uh, and it's water soluble. You clean up with water. Wow. Worst case scenario, scenario, if you get some little bits in your gun, you can run a little acetone through it and it gets it right. Wow. And you can wet sand it once it's oh, dry. What a trip. <laughs> it, take, it takes the shine off it, but if you're going to paint over it anyway, it's not so much of a problem because you can get it if you've got the patience, you know, glossy smooth. We did a, a space helmet with it, and you'd swear, you know, it was it was a hard right. resin or fiberglass piece. Um, you know, the, the, the real uh, trick is, you know, you can wet sand it with water, but you can you, you even get it down faster with acetone, mm. wet sand. Obviously, you've got to wear some serious uh, solvent-proof gloves, right. you know. But, uh, and again, not for somebody to do in their bedroom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, uh, my humble beginnings. Uh, <laughs> all, of, all of our humble beginnings. We all started that so, way. <clears throat> but, but, yeah, I, I can't say enough good stuff about uh, the Creature Cast rubber. Uh, you know, it, like I say, it comes in black. You know, if you're going to make something that's black, but I... I prefer the neutral because you can tint right. it any color yeah. including yeah. black um and you add the the uh, several drops of this thickening agent to it so it sprays on beautifully um and uh, you know it's tough and uh, you know if you really fold something and get a kind of a crease in it and there's a surface hit it lightly with a heat gun and it relaxes out. Again. Amazing. Wow. Sounds yeah, like so, latex uh, without any of the negative things about latex, maybe. Yeah. We, we experimented uh, with some other latex coatings onto closed cell foam. And, you know, my, my big thing with latex is even though there's probably like, you know, half a percent of actual organic rubber in it anymore, right. but latex will break down stiffen discolor yeah. all that sort of thing over the years and you know and, and it, you know you have no idea you know where most late lattices are coming from you know because you know uh, i've seen things i've seen things from the 50s that have lasted amazingly well and they still have a little flex to it i've seen things a year old that are starting to harden right. and atrophy right Latex, yeah, I'm I'm not a particular fan of it. Uh, we actually had a really bad experience with a particular latex that was recommended to me by another fabricator. I won't name him because he's actually excellent. Uh, uh, and we've used this stuff 
many times before and in a lot of other pieces, but we had this really huge teapot that, uh, uh, for uh, the MTV Awards for Mrs. Potts costume. And I don't know what was going on. Like my people were being very careful, but I was getting lumpy and awful. Yeah. And I'm going, this is, yeah, it's supposed to look like smooth ceramic. And I said, this is unacceptable. And I'm thinking, gee, I'm going to get sued on mm -hmm. this. And we were in a very, very tight schedule. And I went to the back of the shop, uh, dug in the, uh, uh, dug in the uh, uh, flammables cabinet and found enough plastic dip to not put as heavy a coat as I would like, but I said, we got this. But then I had to have like four, four more people peeling this, uh, this huge teapot, peeling the oh latex so we could start, you know, with a clean <laughs> surface. But we pulled it off, but now, of course, mm. you know, I would use nothing but the creature mm. cast because it's it's just excellent stuff. I can't recommend yeah, it more. Yeah, that's great. That's that's and that's what's not even a paid endorsement. Right. <laughs> I wish it was. At least give me some free. Product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, maybe they'll yeah. maybe they'll hear yeah. this. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's an interesting thing uh, about the the foam fabrication world. Is that you know when back when we were back in the eighties when we were working in shops there wasn't they didn't call there wasn't cosplay wasn't a thing yet i mean people dressed up for conventions but it wasn't like it is now now it's kind of like people know what cosplay is most people know what it is and it's pretty popular now it's like it's mainstream yeah well i i dressed up as characters back yeah you know, at conventions back in the 70s yeah yeah you know, yeah I mean, but but there was even so, a name so, for it i mean, i i i, I say well now i was doing cosplay before yeah it was even called right, that, exactly so. so i mean that's that's got to be uh i mean you've seen that happen you must have felt like you were kind of <laughs> i mean a lot of the stuff it's I, I see it now and it's like this is you know this is stuff we were doing back in the day for for fun and it's like it's kind of cool that it's caught on but I, i'm sure that's it, it's it, good for you for your for your business it, it, it is it is uh you know the um um, you know, and I've, uh, you know, uh, been on a number of the cosplay sites on uh, Facebook and I continue to be blown away by the intricacy mm -hmm. and complexity of some of these builds, yeah. you know, especially since, you know, these people are doing it, you know, in their garages or wherever, yep. you know, they're, they're, they're not a problem. Most, in most cases, not able to work on it full time so they're doing it in the evenings and weekends right. and so forth uh so you know from that standpoint the stuff is very impressive you know the one thing you know that uh you know i i kind i i don't even rankle at it but it's just uh, oh you know i'm constantly like, oh do you use eva foam or do you use the floor mats you know and it's like okay I don't know when EVA was uh, uh, first developed. Uh, What's EVA honestly, foam? EVA foam is a closed cell foam mm. that uh, the cosplayers almost exclusively use. Where it began were these cheap floor mats mm. that they sell at places like Harbor Freight and other hardware stores. They have little puzzle piece edges okay. so you can yeah. put 
them together. Yeah. They're usually gray or black. Uh, I've seen brightly colored ones for your kids' playroom right, type right. of thing. But they're usually two by two feet. Most of them are half an inch uh, to three quarters of an inch thick, which is pretty thick. And um, then uh, I, I actually did a tutorial for YouTube uh, making uh, horns. Uh, and I, I deliberately used that foam. Uh, and I actually found uh, one source from mats that were only three-eighths inch mm. thick which I needed uh, uh, to have it that thin. And I found it more difficult to work with. Uh, the thing is, EVA is uh, a viable type of foam. Uh, if you go on Amazon and even put in L200, you're going to get EVA sheets. Hmm. There are companies that do sell EVA sheets. They're usually not very large sheets. but And they're all in millimeters, which vexes me. I'm sorry. They... they uh, you know, we never learn metric here in the right. U.S., and so I've got to constantly, you know, go on, go on my, you know, computer or whatever. Okay, uh, uh, how 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 thick is ten millimeters? <laughs> yep. Okay, yeah. The only thing I remember is, is is the width of eight millimeter film from when I was a right. kid. You know, <laughs> a lot of people out there going, "What's he talking about?" <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but still the. Uh, uh, so, you know, you got to figure that out, uh, you know, but, uh, um, you know, I've, I, I found an online source, uh, and the thing is the, uh, the L200 and all its knockoffs is a, uh, well, L200 is actually a model number for Voltec foam. Mm. Uh, they came up with it, you know, decades ago, mm. probably the uh, late seventies, early eighties. And then now lots of people have the formula and, and 200 refers to the density. Mm. They make, I don't know, they make L800, huh. which is probably like balsa wood or something like that no, with no flex. But, um, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, even in the past I've used L300, mm. uh, which is denser. You know, if you're doing something more mechanical, robotic, right. armor, something like that, you might want to go to 300. Whereas, you know, I, I tend, to, you know, my um, strength is doing um, 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 naturalistic things, you know, organic. Right. That's the word. I'm looking for organic things, whether it's a cartoon character mm -hmm. or something realistic, it, but still got rounded right. shapes, you know, it doesn't have hard corners or points or anything and the 200 is certainly the or the uh, uh or, or the the uh uh two two pound density foam so that uh, uh the what l200 is is a cross-linked polyethylene foam and that's the generic name for it okay. and there are sources out there for it and you know, and uh, even a friend of mine asked me, why aren't you using the formats? They're so much cheaper. I said, we're making something, you know, you know as, as, as big as a desk. You know, I'm not going to be restricted to, for a two right. by two foot work surface, right. you know. So we, we get sheets, you know, 40 by 80 inches, which is almost, uh, you know, uh, four by eight feet long, roughly. And, you know, we can get a lot of pieces out of it. You know, of course, you know, when, you know, a lot of the, people look at the price on it you know if you're you know like a cosplayer or doing you know stuff at home it's like yeah right 
you know, uh, 50 bucks for one sheet, you know, but you get a lot of, really, you'll get a lot out yeah. of it and it makes your life easier if you're doing a large piece. So, you know, right now out there, there is the, uh, there's even a Facebook group called only EVA cosplay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that's kind of discriminatory, right. you know, but, that, but, but, but that's, you know, that, that's what they initially discovered. And then, they started probing more and their, their sources out there for, you know, uh, different sizes and thicknesses of EVA, usually in millimeters. And sometimes I've seen these websites describe it as firm or soft, mm -hmm. which, okay, soft, I'm assuming that's 200. Right. There isn't a 100 density. These closed cell phones work. Both of them fine, you know. I th I feel they're interchangeable. Mm. You know, it's good to know exactly what density you're getting, and you know, be familiar with it. There probably are other types of closed cell phones out there. You know, I've gotten samples from manufacturers of like this huge book full of stuff, and you know, but I learned from experience. I I ordered a large quantity of foam from uh, one uh, sample. And it wound up being the densest, heaviest foam I have ever worked wow. with. You know, so, you know, uh, uh, make sure if you're testing something new, get a decent sized sample and play with it before you actually, you know, uh, commit to any, any quantity right, of uh, right. So that, that pretty much goes for anything. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, I get people asking me all the time, you know, it's like regarding oil painting. It's like, uh, what happens if you do, If can I do this with a painting? Can I use this medium? And, and I always like, do a test. Just do a test, you know, <laughs> try to do a test. That's like always, that's the, the safest thing to do. Do a little test before you ruin your big, you know, main piece. Um, so you, do you still ha have your school? I mean, or... Oh, okay. Uh, let, let, let me uh, give, give, give a, a... <laughs> edit number three. <laughs> you sh you can answer it if you want. No, 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 no. I, I I sent her a text, and of course she sent okay back. You know that's what the, the, that one right. is. <laughs> Anyhow, um, the um, okay. Um, what happened last year? Uh, is uh, due to you know overwhelming you know financial issues. I closed Total Fabrication after 24 years. Right. This uh, is the company was that was doing costumes and foam fabric. We were doing all sorts yeah. of things. We we created creatures. I mean, we didn't just do foam fabrication. You did it all we, of it. Oh no no we we uh, I, uh, uh, Jeff Farley was one of my uh, main oh, sculptor oh. Uh, and. He did a number of sculptural projects. We were doing silicone masks. Oh, for no, clients. I didn't know that. Cool. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, we, we created a Sasquatch costume for a Las Vegas realtor with a silicone face. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we uh, so we did lots and lots of different types of things. You know, obviously the foam fabrication and, uh, was, uh, you know, uh, prevalent. Uh, one of the weird things uh, we did a lot of to the point where I started a separate website called food-costumes.com because I think I'm one of the world's leading specialists at dressing people up as food. <laughs> wow. 
Now, this is not a claim to fame I ever aspired <laughs> right. to, but I've just done it so many damn times. I guess I guess I can call myself That's that. great. Uh, and it, it was actually very fun because, you know, uh, you know, we, we do different types of things. I had one client, you know, look at all our pictures of food costumes, including we've done several onions. And he said, yes, yes, but this time we need to have a green onion made. Or do you think you can do that? <laughs> and I don't know exactly what I actually said, but what I was saying is like, okay, you've seen pictures of dozens of food costumes we have made over the years. You can't nail and if you can't take that little leap of faith that we can figure out how to make a green onion, uh, I don't know what I can say, you know, to convince you beyond that. So anyhow, uh, but yeah, uh, so I have been doing since 2015 my Foam Fab 101 uh, workshops at my uh, our last location in Silmar. And it was, um, um, you know, it was great. I only do two or three a year. I did a couple of private uh, mm -hmm. workshops, one for uh, uh, magnet school that was actually high school students. Oh, wow. Uh, it, with, with a couple of instructors there to keep them in line. <laughs> and oh, actually, they were very good. They were, they were funny. And, uh, and then there was a group of uh, union costumes wow. that took uh, uh, a private workshop. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, obviously, you know, it was, uh, restricted to the amount of table space I had if we weren't inundated with work. Uh, and I would do it. It was a two day weekend workshop, uh, where I provide all the necessary materials and I would show them, you know, types of foam, how to, how to cut it, how to glue it, how to sand and clean up seams. And then at the end of day one, we'd make a, a headpiece that a lot of people thought looked like a helmet. It was very simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd say, well, if you want to make it, it, this into a helmet, you know, by all means, but don't restrict yourself. You could make it into an animal right. or a creature, make it into a headdress. You could do all sorts of things. One girl, uh, uh, oh, this is another group from Park College, a lot of great kids. She built a little cannon just sitting on top of this head. Yeah, that's what we're yeah. talking about. Creativity, you know, that's, really. Yeah, creativity, circus. So, yeah, at, at the end of day one, I'd say tomorrow you're, uh, you know, go home uh, tonight, figure out what you want to do. If you're able to sketch even roughly, just kind of sketch out your idea or bring some reference photos. Most people were working off their phones. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I'd say, look, you know, uh, some people would come in with something fairly simple, and I said, okay, you got this. You're going to be done by the end of the day. You might even be able to put a, a sealer coat on it. Uh, but other people would come in with uh, a more elaborate idea. So I'll be honest, you can't finish this right. here today, but I'm going to, you know, answer any question you have and coach you on how to finish this on your own. And, you know, probably – a very small percentage actually uh, sent, you know, sent me photos of their finished pieces, but some of them are really, I mean, we, we had a fireman who uh, uh, he and his buddies liked to go to the Labyrinth Ball and wanted to kick their uh, craft up a notch. Like I say, we've had, you know, industry professionals, including a, uh, um, several prop people, prop makers, 
uh, we had a uh, we had a sculptor for Hasbro Toys, but she was a young lady who she was the only one in her department who had never done hands-on sculpting, you know, with clay or any other medium. She only worked in 3D programs. Oh wow! Oh wow! She did this amazing head tentacled headdress. You know, she sent me a final photo of it, and it's like wow. Okay, I worked with her showing her because this was like from an anime piece of art. And I said, well, the, the, the tentacles had this with this weird sucker thing. So I kind of showed her how to make, you know, one sucker. Right. And I said, well, obviously you got to change the size <laughs> and, you know, shape on, you know, on, on, you know, to make this piece, you know, the, uh, an entire thing. And she did. So I, you know, uh, I, I think I did one workshop, uh, in 2019, I think. But anyway, when things got kind of tense at Total Fab, I had to, you know, let my crew go and get rid of a lot of stuff. Bummer. Uh, fortunately, uh, I got a call shortly after about a, a movie from a friend of mine who is a UPM, and she said, "Oh my God, you closed your shop. We really wanted you to uh, be our guy on this." And, I, and she, uh, uh, she told me about it, and it, I thought about it for a matter of seconds. I said, yes, I can do this, because it did require a certain amount of gore effects, which I knew my friend uh, Roy at Soda, has Soda mm. Effects, had uh, a studio that was literally like a mile from my old studio. Uh, I, I, and while we were negotiating this and closing my old shop, I managed to salvage some things like work tables, mm -hmm. uh, some materials uh, to bring over to his place. I've got a little office here, uh, which I'm talking to you from. And, uh, you know, the uh, it was kind of like uh, a lot of people are likening it to Five Nights at Freddy's, where it's, uh, you know, like a pizza restaurant animatronic show where the characters come to life and kill people. Oh, okay. So I said, these have to look like something that start out as kid-friendly, but become more menacing. They're old and grotty, and we did lots of you know fun tricks like making the pupils smaller when they got homicidal, oh, cool. things like that. But it was a real challenge because all, every single character got destroyed on camera uh -huh. in the And I said, this schedule and budget, we didn't start building. I started designing a little earlier, but we didn't start building until right after Thanksgiving. And they started shooting around February 1. Wow. So, and there were eight characters. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you know, even in my first conversation with them, the way this is going to have to work, and I know this isn't the way movies are made, but anything involving these characters has to be shot in sequence. Wow. Because if we destroy one of these costumes, there isn't another right, one. Right. There's no, hey, we, we, uh, we, well, hey, we missed that shot the other day. And, you know, to which my response would have been, yes, you absolutely did miss <laughs> that shot for all times. That shot is never going to happen. <laughs> you know, so, and, and it, it was pretty good. Uh, uh, Nicolas Cage was the, is the star of the oh, movie. Wow. It's been announced online as Wally's Wonderland. Uh, for various reasons, Wally is now Willie, but they haven't announced the name change. Their target was to have it out uh, this October. Uh, so hopefully maybe I can talk the producers into trying it at drive-ins. Yeah. You know, which quite a few 
lower budget indie films are, are making a splash at the, the drive-ins that are open or reopening, you know, uh, so people can uh, watch movies at a safe social distance. Right. So anyway, um, I am going to restart the Phone Fab 101 workshops uh, when it's safe to get people, you know, in close proximity of one another. And my long-range plan is to also do a uh, paid online course, which is going to be several hours in length, you know, and be very, very thorough mm. the way my workshop is. Obviously, there's not the live interaction, but, you know, it, hopefully it'll give you know, people as close to the experience as can be offered. And, of course, there'll be a DVD version for those old-timers like me that, hey, I, I want to pop in the DVD. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so it, it'll probably be at least a few more months before I offer <coughs> the next uh, Phone Fab 101. However, I've started a Patreon page. Yay. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you were the first person to recommend it to me, and you've been very encouraging. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, Terry Harden Jackson, who is a you know a Disney Imagineer and sculptor and so forth, uh, uh, she's doing quite well with mm. it. Uh, so, what was her name? Uh, what was her name? Uh, Terry. I think it's. I think it's just on there. Is Terry Harden? H A R D I N. Okay. She is the most bubbly, exuberant personality you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she does a lot of uh, uh, Facebook Live things okay. from her private Facebook page and stuff like that. And you know, I, I I sat in on a Zoom call with her the other day because I, I you know, we're also supporting each other like you and I mm-hmm. are. On Patreon, I need to get a few more people besides the two of you. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, the it's Patreon dot com slash foam underscore fab underscore one hundred one. The numbers one hundred one. Foam fab one hundred one. My uh, uh, website totalfab dot com is still o- uh, open. And I'm uh, using that to hopefully bring in freelance work that I can work uh, do on out here out of here at uh, oh, Soda cool. Effect, courtesy of Roy. Uh, I've changed the name to Total Fab Designs. Mm-hmm. So happy the website always was Total Fab. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's like, hey, nothing's Perfect. changed, you know. So- and uh, so I, I'm still there, you know. I'm I'm you know, uh, open for business, as they say, you know, but definitely anyone that's looking uh, right now when I can't do my workshops or certainly not the online workshops yet, you know, people that are interested in phone fabrication, you know, uh, can check out the Patreon page. There's a $5 level that gives access to a private Facebook page where I'm going to do live things, post periodic uh, mini tutorials, uh, uh, project uh, uh, albums, you right. know, with behind scenes photos, Excellent. that sort of thing. So it'll, you know, um, you know, obviously people who work with phone will probably have, you know, more informed questions, uh, you know, and need for advice, you know. But even if you're a beginner and want to at least get uh, catch the vibe, as it yeah. were, you know, it's uh, uh, there's a place there. Uh, for you too on patreon right yeah yeah now this is this is this is the guy i would want to learn from if i was learning phone fabrication for sure so i, I mean i'm glad you 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 are on there 
you've got a, a profile and um i know there are, it took long enough yeah it <laughs> takes time you know it took it, i always i always tell me it took it took me a year from hearing about patreon to actually deciding that i was going to do it because i couldn't figure back you know this was a, a few years ago it was still kind of a new concept and a new platform and it's just like it took a while to sink in um but yeah i would i am i i'm I, excited to see what you're going to do with it like i said if if, if uh i was going to learn foam fabrication i would definitely um join this patreon um you know i mean the the experience is your experience how how long have you been in the the business like 30 I, I was doing professional stuff for at least 40 years, 40 years. although I moved to uh, uh, Hollywood in 1982 so it's been 38 years working yeah, out here you can't I mean that's kind of priceless you could have all the knowledge in the world but experience is is where it's at when you're at least as far as I'm concerned when, when you want to learn something well you know well, and one of one of the uh, yeah many of the students who've taken my workshops, which sadly there won't be this element, you know, with no live interaction with my online or DVD versions. But uh, if you're part of a Patreon and 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 you're doing like a, a Zoom call with me, whether it's a, a group Zoom mm -hmm. call or or a, or one on one Zoom call, you're going to get you know. The experience that we're having right now right. We're, we're 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 you know we're having some fun telling you know funny stories mm -hmm. and that sort of thing and you know um you know things you from experience that may be extraneous in a very formal you know uh workshop uh environment but you know everybody everybody laughed and had a good time you know i think there was only one workshop where you know i was being my normal self and Everybody was just dead serious. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, okay, well, well you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to teach you stuff. You know, uh, uh, jokes are free, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I know we definitely have some. Um, I don't know if you call them cosplayers, but I know we have people in the audi in our audience that make their own costumes for conventions and stuff like that. So I know people are going to be into it. Um, it's all really interesting, fascinating stuff. And, and even, you know, your online portfolio is like uh, all that food stuff. I was fascinated by all the food costumes you had, the grapes. It's like, those look like real giant grapes. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's, I mean, even j just from a kind of a creative and artistic standpoint, I find this stuff fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, um, process junkie really when it comes to any kind of creative field. So, um, I'm into it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing all your stuff on on Patreon. Absolutely, thank you. No, it's uh, and and you know one of the things uh, I I know we're probably wrapping up here, but uh, you know I was talking about the interaction. The great thing about uh, Patreon is all levels will have uh, access to right. to either type in questions yep. or be on on zoom calls and that sort of thing i always uh, offered that to all my live students too you know i said look here's my email address you know if you got a question you're doing mm -hmm. something you know and and several people did take advantage of it i said you can also call the office but i said you know there you know there may be times where i i don't have time right, to talk right. you know i was running a business but uh you know uh have, having people there and actually 
several uh, graduates of uh, my workshop wound up being my employees. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you, you did your job well. You trained them well. This is this Thanks. has been really fun, man. I appreciate you taking the time out. Um, I really enjoyed it. And no, this is the longest we've probably ever <laughs> probably on another in our it's entire true. life. You know, even back when you were working for. Well, let me just ask you quickly: what was the what project were you working on when you were working for me at Total Fab? Oh no, I wasn't. I didn't work at Total Fab. I don't think. No, no, it was oh. at MMI. It was at Beekler's. It was on Cellar Dweller. Oh, okay, because I didn't actually work on that, but I visited. Oh, so. you were there, though. I know you were working I, in the shop on something. It may not have It may not have been on Cellar Dweller, but it was while I was there on Cellar Dweller. I'm sure you were there working on... Okay, well, I'm glad you solved that mystery, because for some reason I thought you and I had worked together at Total Fab. Oh, no, no. And yeah, what project was that? <laughs> okay, so it wasn't a project at all. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's another artist, and God, I'm going to blank on him. He used to exhibit at Monster Palooza that did work for me. Okay. And he did more. He did some three dimensional stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate. I, I, I'm not yeah, going to remember his name. Sorry. But anyway, <laughs> but, but yeah, I haven't seen him at, at the show for a long time, though. So I don't know what he's he's doing these days. But uh, he did work. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, we, we basically, you know, whether we were working on the same film or not, I met you at, at MMI, and then I've just seen you over the years at conventions oh, and your yeah. reputation. It's like you're just one of the guys that everybody knows in the business. So it's like, you know, you hear about people over and over, and it, you're just part of the the makeup effects community. So I don't know. I felt, I felt like I knew you better than I did, I guess, but that's, what's cool. Well, no, uh, <laughs> Hey, that, no, that's, that's great. You know, no, uh, that's one of the things I loved about monster Palooza right. was running into people. Like I said, Joe Golanich and people like, uh, Mark Siegel and Mark, oh, uh, yeah, Mark Siegel Mark Wilson <laughs> and Mark Wilson and all that from back in, uh, from back in the eighties that I'd seen in years, you know, Having my own studio for 24 years, I missed a few generations of the, the right. newer uh, kids who were working in all the other shops around right. town because, you know, I was no longer freelancing, so I didn't get to mingle right, like right. I did in, in my early days. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, still, you know, you know, being, you know, one of the, one of the official old timers. Right. <laughs> Of, of the effects and yeah let's face it i got out of, i got out of here in 1982 when makeup effects were booming wow wow you know it was it literally you know uh movies i'd seen in my hometown shortly before i came out were movies like et and the thing and you know howling american werewolf cat people had all come out previously and there were still all these movies that were you know, uh, being made using practical effects, you know, makeup effects guys were like rock right. stars. You know, you could never say, hey, hey, you know that makeup effects guy, he's got long hair and wears a leather jacket, <laughs> you know, and it's like, um, <laughs> I need more because you just described over 50% of the guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I always say about this podcast that is that um, I, I, I get to know people that I've, you know, it's like we kind of have known each other and actually bring them on the podcast and end up 
you know, knowing them as well as I always felt like I knew them over all the <laughs> years, but actually didn't know that much about them. So it's, it's really uh, great to have you on and, and learn all about your history. I mean, I've read a lot and stuff, but um, hearing it from the horse's mouth was super cool and super fun. And, and I want to, uh, I'm happy to be able to promote your Patreon. I think it's going to be really valuable for people that are interested in that. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no. Well, thank you so much, Chad. No, no, this has been a great, great, great experience. Excellent. Um, everybody listening, thank you for listening. If you want to support the Dark Art Society Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Society. Get the podcast a day early for a dollar a month only. And what else? You also get in the, on the Dark Art Society live art jams every Friday, which is actually just started 17 minutes ago on zoom so uh and the secret facebook page and all that stuff but i say that every week so you hear that every week so i probably shouldn't keep saying it every time at the end of the show i'm sure people are getting annoyed with me but you know hey hey hammer (laughs) it's marketing man you got to do it all right (laughs) anyway thanks ken all right thanks uh, uh say goodbye to the audience Bye, everybody. Uh, uh, thanks uh, thanks for listening, and uh, please check me out on Patreon. All right. Phone Fab 101. Thanks, everybody. 